Literature and Psychology by Dr. Saideh Malik Afzali, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and Dr. Alex Andrade from Tabana Organization. Tabana is a non-profit mental health organization organized in Sacramento, California. Tabana seeks to help individuals and families to strengthen their capabilities and to thrive. Aired on Saturdays and Sundays from 12 to 1 o'clock weekly. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb Dot listeners. Uh, I'm sitting with Dr. Rockers. Dr. Alexandrade is not with us today. And um, today we want to talk about psychological assessment and what is psychological assessment? How do we work um, on assessing uh, issues? So psychological assessment um, may be conceptualized as process of using psychological tests, clinical interviews, behavioral observations, and other assessment tools to gather data on an individual's cognitive, emotional, social, and behavior functioning for the purpose of description, classification, prediction, and intervention planning and monitoring. Okay. Uh, so we start with evaluation and selection of psychological tests. Well, let's just jump back a step. I like that. You're really heavy into the technical part here, but I'm gonna pull us back out of that for just a moment and say, let's just say, okay, I heard those descriptions, but really in, plain English words, what is psych testing and why do we, why do we have it? Why do we need it? Why would we need it? Well, psychological testing is necessary because we are evaluating and collecting data about a client. So with that, we, depending on what type of test we do, because there's so many different types of tests, but in general, we want to know whether the person cognitively is at at least average or, you know, from go from there, below average, above average, average. And then um, also the details of the evaluation to see which parts are, uh, for example, the processing speed, the um, other aspect of the test we are doing. Um, especially people with um, disorders, uh, especially uh, cognitive disorders, which we know um, there's, there's different cognitive uh, disorders. Uh, basically, um, we do have different sort of assessment, behavioral, um, cognitive, and all those types. So, Okay. My understanding is to see what's what's wrong with you or okay. if you are normal. That, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> A lot of times it's to see what's wrong with you. Yeah. No, not all the time is it to see what's wrong with you. Sometimes we might do testing to see how you are. Because mm -hmm. a lot of tests to see what wrong with what's wrong with you are what we call pathology tests, tests of pathology. We want to see is, is there something wrong? Does this person have depression or does this person have anxiety? Is there, are they not processing things well? Do they not, are there a disorder in their thought process? Can they not think right? And sometimes we just want to know about the person. We want to know, well, what kind of person are you? Are you a kind of person that enjoys being in nature? Are you the kind of person that enjoys reading? Are you the kind of person that likes science or are you a different kind of person? Are you achievement oriented? Do you like art? Like what we talked about last time, Th those sorts of things. And those are not pathology based. So we can split it. One way of splitting all these psych testing is in some psych testing is to look and see, is there something wrong with you? And other psych testing is to see, well, what are you like? What kind of person are you? So the what are you like, those types of tests are things like the Myers-Briggs inventory. Mm -hmm. 
you've got experience with the Myers-Briggs, right? Yes. And tell us, what does this Myers-Briggs tell us? Yeah, it tells you different aspects of you, um, where you are with your personality. It's a personality test. I can't remember what I was, but every time I test, I have done other personality tests as well. I'm extrovert. Um, I'm social. Um, um, I mean, I can't remember the Myers-Becks. Um, can you... Um, do you remember all the details of, uh, I know the one that we did was um, the RIASIC, the realistic, um, investigative, artistic, the, the big five? Um, the big five would be the um, neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeable. Yeah, yeah, social, inter... Um, That's the big five, I Enterprising. I think RISEC is more the vocational testing, isn't it? It the... is. It is more vocational. Yes. Okay. Okay. Based on Holland's. Yeah. Yeah. So some of that can be used to direct people in terms of their vocation or their occupation. Yes. It's occupational scores. Yeah. And then uh, we can talk a little bit about projective tests. Tell me about the projective tests. Projective tests. The most famous one is probably where you look at the ink blots. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, the Rorschach yes. ink blots. Yes. yes. And uh, do you have any comment on that? If it's fine if you do. Fine if you don't. Yeah, I haven't done um, that test myself. Not even with client. Not for myself. But I know project. Projective personality test is Rorschach uh, ink block test. Right. So um, I don't know about the administration of it. I know uh, there's location, determinants, form quality, and that type of thing, but I haven't done it. We don't need all this technical stuff. It's just, it's just, yeah, the way that they're graded. If you think about the ink blot test, the way that it works is the psychologist shows the patient a card that has an ink blot on it, which is just some blot of inks that show up in some random format. And then the person says, hey, well, what do you see in this? What does this look like to you? And then based on what shows up and the original in the original administration scoring of it, it was it was just very simple. Well, what do you see in this test? What do you see in this blot? Does that look like a monster or does it look like a flower? And so if somebody sees a monster in the blot, that tells you a little bit something inside as compared with a person who sees a flower in that blot. And then you do that a number of times, you begin to get a sense of how each person sees the world, what they're bringing along inside of them. Is it also two-phase, like free association? And um, I think it's in two phases. Okay, go ahead. What well, I think in free association, uh, when you examine, you present 10 cards uh, in a prescribed order. And then you ask um, the person who is doing this, like examinee, to describe what you said. That's free association. And right. um, they verbalize and, and you record if you're administrating. And I think in inquiry phase, now that you talked about it, all of a sudden it all came to me. The inquiry phase is when, um, when you're administrating, you actively ask questions. Right. Well, so, yeah, this is like, this is, Let's back up a little bit. Um, we don't need to pull all this stuff from books. It's just this. It's just, do you see something in that? What do you see in this ink blot? And that's the psychodynamic original interpretation of it. This is what do you see? Does this make sense? Do you see a scary world or do you see a cheerful world or whatever like that? Yeah, yeah that and makes sense. And then what has happened with psychology becoming a science is some people put together a method of scoring all these answers. 
And some people really dig it and they get a lot out of it. And some people don't dig it so much. They're trying to do a technical scoring system. And I'm kind of more of that bent where it's like, it's quite a lot of work to come up with that. I kind of like getting just the overall gestalt from it, the overall general picture of it. And yeah. what does it seem like from that? So a couple of different ways of, of exploring it. And what you're describing there is that more data oriented, can we assign numbers and empirical ratings to all of these areas? And yeah, they're looking at things like location and I don't, I don't even know, or I don't even remember all of those things. What's what stands out as odd or bizarre? And are there more things in there? Are there people in there? Are there no people in there? Are there live objects? Things like that, right? Do you see blood? Do you see monsters? So on and so forth. How does it all relate? Any, but any of that, I don't think our, our readers really care that much, or listeners care that much about it. What they want to know is what is it for? Why do we have these things? Sure. And so a projective test is to see what's inside. But a projective test can be anything, right? To when people look at cloud formations. If you're lying on your back and it's a sunny day and there's clouds going through, yeah, what do you see in the cloud? What is that? It looks like a monster. It looks like a bulldozer. It looks like a, I don't know. Yeah. Have you done the, you've done the cloud thing, right? Where you look sure. at cloud. Yeah, yeah. Then you can make something up out of that. There's another kind of test that is a storytelling test, like a thematic apperception test is the technical name for it. But it just shows some situations and your people tell a story. Yeah. What kind of a story do you tell? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It leads to you could do something similar like in the interpretation of fairy tales. Yeah, the story. What's the story in there? Yeah. But you had tests as a, a school administrator in terms of seeing how these tests are used. My guess is based on your responses now, you're thinking of the test in terms of your experience, which makes sense, sure. which is as in how do we use it in the school system? Yeah. Did, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the usefulness or helpfulness of the test? Sure. In so we, um, you know, in my experience, because there are a lot of people in autism spectrum and especially ADHD and all other um, issues that affect the educational part of the um, a child. So I sat in a lot of IEPs and I looked at the test results and based on that, we planned um, with the teachers how to work with the kids. So basically the result of the test shows where the issue is. Some kids are good in their um, words. Um, some people are great in their vocabulary, in their writing, but some have problem in their math or the others, uh, the opposite. So based on that, you get the results. It shows where you are with your academics, specifically because writing and process of writing or process of calculating the mathematical part is important. Based on that, you realize you plan how the teachers work with the kids and where is the emphasis. So especially with, um, you know, just uh, recent educational planning, most of the kids with autism, with ADHD, um, they actually are mainstreamed before they were mostly separating classes and they realized that the mainstream planning is much better for the growth and for the um, development of issues that um, the children have since they're with the groups, since they learned from their peers. So basically they mainstream those kids, they come to regular classes and um, maybe for some parts of the day, they attend different classes um, for enrichment, but in general, they're mainstream, but the teacher knows specifically which areas they need to focus. And so let's jump back for a definition of IEP. Is that individual? In, 
Yes, individual, um, actually uh, personalized planning. Okay. Yeah. And how much does psych testing enter into that? Is it the whole thing? Or is there also somebody says, well, you know what? This is what I'm seeing in this person. How does that all fit together? Well, it's just by the requests of the parents of their issues, because they're always psychologists in um, educational field uh, yeah. for different reasons. Mainly they're educational psychologists, but in general, they're also um uh, competent on psychological part, but um, the role of psychologists in a school setting um, could be the psychological part. Like um, when I was doing my practicum at school, I did a lot of not only IEPs, but also sat with parents with issues of angst with the kids having issues of anxiety, bipolar, depression, um, so many other psychological issues. When it comes to those, because I was doing my practicum and I had a supervisor in that setting, then that was a different setup. Then we would just meet with parents, with the students, and then there was complete um, setup planning for those kids. Um, and a lot of modification of the courses, a lot of um, basically... Um, not only modification, modification mostly happened with the kids that they had um, educational issues, but with those kids, it was more adjustment of the planning than modification because they didn't have any issues with educational part of it, but just psychological issues. So with adjustment, I mean like rather than, for example, if a kid has anxiety, be sitting with a group of kids and taking the test, just manage uh, a separate individual testing setting for that kid so that the anxiety doesn't kick in sitting around a bunch of kids, that the kid doesn't feel comfortable. Does the test, does that, is that set up so that they do the testing and then you get the plan and then everybody moves on or, and make the changes and the schedule and all that, or is it, we do testing now and then in one year, we also do follow-up testing and compare those? Oh, absolutely. There's always a follow-up and testing, especially as the kids move from one grade to another, it should be another test so you compare from previous year so the hope is always development enrichment the kids has moved forward there was a growth in a, in a um, educational piece and when it came to psychological part um, it's difficult to do the psychological uh, testing at school but if usually the parents share the psychological uh, information which is in the file of a child then we attend to that and we make sure there are adjustments if they're needed if they need be and a lot of people with autism and ADHD had other issues as well so usually was com comorbid with other issues you know, like, for example, a kid who was ADHD had OCD or a kid who had ADHD had anxiety, you know. So basically, when you were looking at a child, you would look at the whole. You would look at the academic part, psychological part. There was some modification. There was some adjustment. So um, as far as I know, the number of the kids in every situation I was every year was growing. So we had more kids with these situations. And I always thought maybe it's just uh, the, I mean, it has to be research-based, but my understanding was a lot of issues as I was working with the kids was um, media, it was mainly media. We got to our first break. We come back and we continue our conversation. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد من به همراه همکارم و دوست در شرکت توانا با دکتر دانیل راکرز امروز در خدمتون هستیم و روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه ما به زبان انگلیسی صحبت میکنیم اگه صدای ما رو از زبان به زبان انگلیسی از رادیو بامداد میشنوین ما برنامهمون با دو تن از همکارانم امروز البته دکتر انرادین نیستن ولی با دکتر راکرز قسمت اول برنامه راجع به 
تست های روانشناسی و تست هایی که در مدرسه برای تشخیص قدرت درسی و پیشرفت درسی ما انجام میدیم و همینطور در مورد تست های روانشناسی صحبت کردیم برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم خواهش میکنم اگر در منزل کسانی هستن که از برنامه ما به زبان انگلیسی استفاده میکنن ازشون دعوت کنین روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه از ساعت دوازده توی که بعد از ظهر به برنامه ما توجه کنن زمنان پادکست های زیادی ما درست کردیم از طریق آیتون از طریق اپل یا سرچ کنین رادیو بامداد رو پادکست های ما تحت عنوان کالچر اند سایکولوژی میتونین رو تاپیک های مختلف ما در زمان های مناسب گوش بدین برمیگردیم و در خدمتون هستیم با ما باشیم سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این بار کمی بهتر نوشت آشقی را غرق در باور نوشت قصه ها را از کجا این باور آمد که گفت گر روید سر بر نگردد سر We're back with Dr. Rockers and we continue our conversation. If you just turn on your radio and you're listening to us, the first part of our conversation, we were talking about psychological assessment and also we talked about educational assessment. And now we are back and we continue our conversation. Let's jump right in. You used a word that I'm not sure if all of our listeners know that word, comorbid. Yes. Can you define what is comorbid? What does comorbid mean? Comorbid, co is always uh, a prefix that means together. So comorbid is when some, uh, two or more issues come at the same time. It's comorbid. It's um, actually, I can look up and give you the exact meaning, but my understanding is when you have an issue and at the same time you have another issue. Yeah, I don't think, we don't need technical definition necessarily. Okay. So it just means happening at the same time. So it might have something in addition to ADD or ADHD. Yes. So my next question is, I tend to jump around a lot. Do you think I have ADD or ADHD? I don't think so. (laughs) In my experience, you don't. You're very focused. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, probably sometimes a little too intense on things. Uh, Yeah. yeah. No, you ask too many questions. I enjoy (laughs) You're very curious, and I like that. I am a very curious person. And, And I write, jump in, and answer. Yeah, you do. I have to respect you. You, every question that I've had, you have pretty good responses for that. And I like it. I respect it. I appreciate that. Anybody who can stand up to my uh, incessant questions. (laughs) Yeah, I've been, I've been, 
uh, keeping up with you so far. <laughs> I hope I'm successful for the rest of the time. So far, so good. <laughs> I'm sure you are. It's like uh, the projective test. There's no wrong answers here. Yeah. Right? We're just doing these things. And those IEPs that you did at the school, did you also say that part of that is behavioral? Oh, absolutely. Especially when the teachers always are at the, uh, you know, meeting IEP behavior is a big part of that because one of the issues that the distinguishes between um, different range of students with issues is behavior. Some um, are on medication, therefore they are behaving uh, appropriately. Some parents are against medication, so it's very hard to manage um, some of the students depending on the range of their issue. It's very difficult for the teachers in classroom. They uh, manage the kids who is not on medication. Parents don't believe in medication. Therefore, the kid cannot sit still, gets up um, every few minutes from the seat, creates some um, commotion around him or her. And so it's, it's difficult. Yeah. So definitely behavior is a big part of that. And our focus a lot is on behavior. So we have all diff many different kinds of psychological tests, right? We have projective tests like the Rorschach we talked about. We have intelligence tests like what you mentioned earlier. We have emotion tests. We have attachment tests. We have creativity. Yeah, vocational, tests. yeah. Vocational tests, creativity tests. Do we have also, or did you use certain behavioral assessments? Are there psychological tests for behavior? Uh, not anything that is in my mind. We did a lot of uh, Stroop Color Word Association with kids. We did, um, uh, as far as I remember, the WESC tests for children. Okay. Um, the intelligence test obviously was a big part of that. Um, no, MMPI uh, was a lot used when I was doing practicum in the counseling center I was working. Um, but let's, hey, let's talk about the Stroop test. Yes. It's kind of a fun test. I always thought it was fun. Did you think it was a fun test? I usually uh, didn't do the actual test because as an administrator, you usually have psychologists who work for you um, and you just go to the meeting and you basically get the result, converse about the result. But um, I, um, you probably remember that better than I do because I was just, um, yeah, talking okay. about the scores. Yeah, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. Yeah. The idea on this color word test is that they have these words that are, the words themselves are colors, like blue and brown and yellow or green yeah. or white. I don't even know what the colors they use in there. So they have the letters G-R-E-E-N and B-L-U-E. And some of those are printed in the ink of the word that they are. And some of them are printed in a different color ink. So you might use yeah. red ink to print G-R-E-E-N. Yeah. Anyway, you have the people read through those as fast as they can. And what happens is it's the big distraction to try to say the color of the ink as opposed to reading the word. I've done it for myself. You have. Not, yeah. In our management uh, meeting, we did that. But it has, you have to have a lot of cognitive flexibility. I think that's the major part of that test. Cognitive flexibility. And is that part of what's used for like autism or ADHD? Is it ADHD that it's used for? Uh, this one is one of the tests uh, just to know the cognitive flexibility, to see how fast the processing of uh, a child um, is, you know, because the processing, the speed processing also is a big part when it comes to testing. Um, but 
I know um, for adults is a great test. Um, we did it, all the management field. I remember in one of our retreats we did that because I think it just shows how fast you are. Shows how fast the thinker is thinking. And right? your attention also, you know. Yeah, because okay. it's necessary work. for, you know, um, how responsive you are, how flexible you are you know it just tells a leader uh, uh, in your leadership a lot when you do that test i'm not sure what is the age group for that uh, well, but i guess it's just true. yeah i guess it's just a test for all ages well probably if you can read words yeah well it's mainly about frontal lobe so i wonder how much of it is useful for children because that is major, you know, you have to be fully um, adult to have your frontal lobe completed to be able to do that. Maybe you can describe for the listeners the function of frontal lobes and why they wouldn't work for kids, maybe. Sure. So as we grow, the part of the brain grows with the growth of age. So when we are born, uh, the part that is that comes with us at birth is the um, the basically we say the bottom part of the brain, which is attached to the stem of the brain with the spinal cord. And then as we move forward, each part develops like um, the uh, basically I don't want to get into the mechanical part, but the need for food. Uh, security, uh, shelter, attachment, all of that, and then our um, emotions. And then when it gets to the front part of the uh, brain, that's the part that you have to be uh, between age of 23 to 25. Um, basically, usually girls, they're two years ahead, uh, most for the most part, and then the boys two years later. But when you're at age 25, 26, your front part of the brain is completely developed. And what it does is acts as a conductor is harmonize everything for a person, meaning you can decision, um, you can make decisions, you can think of future, you can put things together, you can um, have your cognitive flexibility. Um, basically, it, just think of a conductor, how harmonize the um, orchestra, how leads everything. So, it just helps you to be a decision maker, to think of the future. And you are saying that is not yet fully developed in kids. It takes Yes, long absolutely. Because the kids, um, depending on their age, um, so they don't have that uh, frontal lobe. And basically, when I think of the measuring con cognitive flexibility, you have to have your flex, uh, I mean, frontal lobe uh, in order to be performing um, regarding that test. We got to the second part of our break, um, and uh, I say some words in Farsi. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد اگه صدای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی میشنوین ما روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه از شرکت توانا که یک شرکت غیر انتفاعی هستش با دو تن از همکاران من دکتر دانیل راکرز و دکتر الکساندر رادی هر دو در ساکرامنتو همکاری میکنیم و امروز ما صحبتمون راجع به تست های روانشناسی و انواع نتایج تستی در مدرسه در بچه ها و در بزرگسالان هستش صدای ما رو اگر فکر میکنین کسانی که به زبان انگلیسی میتونن بشنون ازشون دعوت کنین گوش بدن به ما و ما برمیگردیم دنبال صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم زمنان پادکست های زیادی داریم که میتونین تحت عنوان کالچرن سایکالوجی از رادیو بامداد یا آیتون اپل سرچ کنین و تحت عنوان های مختلف به صدای ما گوش بدین ما صحبتمون معمولا به صورت گفتگو هستش و هیچ بیس ساینتیفیک شاید توش نباشه ولی گفتگوی روانشناسی هستش 
البته با تجارب و مطالعاتی که داریم همیشه سعی میکنیم که بیس های ریسرچ و ساینس هم درش گنجونده بشه و به طور کلی تمام موضوعات روانشناسی علم هستش و ما امروز هم صحبت هامون در مورد این تست ها بود پرسد برمیگردیم و با ما باشید به دنباله صحبتمون ادامه میدیم Dr. Rockers, um, Dr. Andrade is not here today with us. And the first two parts of our conversation, if you just turn on your radio and you're listening to us, we talked about psychological tests. We talked about educational tests. We talked about how we basically administer the test and how we read the scores. And we are back to continue our conversation. Let's jump right in, shall we? Sure. I'll begin with a question for you, Saide. Okay. Um, actually, I'm not going to begin with a question. I'm going to begin with a, well, Eight. maybe it's a, it's a question. Are you like summarizing what we've talked about so far in Farsi at those breaks? Is that what you're doing each time? Uh, no, I, I, I actually a little, but basically I talk about our program on Saturday and Sunday, what time it is, uh, how many podcasts we have. Um, yeah, a little bit about what we talked about. Yeah, summarizing. You're right. So that's pretty good. I mean, you've got to monitor all this stuff. and Yeah, sure. Because if they just turn on the radio and they listen to us, they sort of need to know. And if they just turn on the radio and listen to us in English, sometimes they're surprised that we speak in English. I explained that on Saturdays and Sundays we speak in English if they, ju they just turn on the radio. And also I talk about what we talked about. Right. And that it's impossible for Alex and me to speak in. <laughs> yes. Right. Other uh, than chin of but, uh, yeah, you always say that. Say it now. Maybe people can can hear you. You're, you're learning a little Farsi. I'm again. Aziz, Radio Bamdad. That, that's Very good. No, that's all. And I've you know got. what it means. Um, I think it means welcome listeners to Radio Bamdad. 
It says, Dear listeners of Radio Bamdad, Shinavandigan Aziz Radio Bamdad. Is it Shinavandigan Aziz or Az Radio Z's Radio Bamdad? No, Shinavandigan. Shinavandigan means listeners. Shinavandigan. Okay. Yes. Aziz means dear. Means so what? we say dear. Ah, dear okay. listeners. But in Farsi, um, always the adjective comes second after so you say the noun then the adjective yes Shinavandigan. and then means of means of so of dear but it's opposite it says dear listeners and then as as we said is dear uh radio bomb that is radio bomb that radio bomb that. Oh, okay yeah. So you're doing well. So maybe gradually, if you focus, then you can also learn a couple of more words. So when we are on break and I'm speaking in Farsi, then maybe you understand better. Exactly right. And then when we take our culture and psychology program to Iran and transmit from Iran, that would be a great fun to be able to uh, say hello. Of course, of course. And how, how do you say hello in Farsi? Uh, boy, I don't have that one. You're going to have to help me on that one. Okay, salam. This is your question, is your question for me. <laughs> okay. Salam. Salam. salam, salam. I know Alex always says shalom. Shalom is uh, actually the language of Hebrew. Shalom. Shalom. Is it shalom? What's salam? Or is it salam? Is it salom or salam? Salam. Salam. Oh. Yeah, oh. salam. Oh. Okay, very good. Okay, enough right. for language. All right, I'm moving on. Get back to assessment. Yeah, let's get back to assessment. Well, what I'm wanting to do is bring in that cultural aspect into oh. the assessment. And I was wondering for you, we had lots of training in our assessment classes in graduate school about the importance of culture and to understand and adjust for culture. So for example, if we're giving some particular test like the MMPI and you administer that test in English and the person's first language is not English, you have to be extremely careful and realize that as you are seeing the results. And the MMPI for the listeners is a personality inventory that is a whole lot of true-false questions, but it gives information about different pathologies or psychological issues that a person might have. The point, the important point though, is that our culture that we grew up in and the language that we speak are so important for psychological assessment that if someone grew up in a different culture, then the assessment was created in, sometimes those results may not make sense. Or if the person spoke a different language other than English and the test was not translated officially into the other language, we might get some different or strange results. And we have to know that a lot. And if you translate these questions, uh, I know I remember I was working in a center actually for testing, for assessment when I was doing my practicum. There were some of the uh, tests in different languages. Yes, and it's very important to use official versions that are already in those languages, not to take the English version and have someone translate it. Because from across a couple of different translators, you can get widely different translations, which is why it's so important to use the official translated versions of that. Yes. And um, many times I have been translating because there were not so many people speaking the language and being able to do the assessment. I was translating and it was working, but I don't know how, um, you know, when you... I mean, culturally understanding some of these terms and, and um, words means differently in different language, you know, and specifically 
um, it was interesting for me as an educator and as a psychologist when I was doing both and observing and even understanding the fact that how much it's different in different culture it was very interesting. And in a way, you know, when they were talking about some of the things are um, universal, the culture, culturally universal, um, or try to use words that are culturally universal, it was very meaningful to me that, especially when it came to tests that people take um, that their primary language is not English language when they're taking the test. So there's a disadvantage when it comes to that. It's so, so important. And there are some concepts that do not translate from one culture to another. <laughs> For example, if you have some sort of a test that um, let's say maybe it was created in the United Kingdom and where lots of people are accustomed to taking a break and having tea. Let's say you call it afternoon tea and there's some test questions about your afternoon tea. And then you translate that into somebody else's culture who they don't even drink. No, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you translate that? What does that mean? And you're probably going to get some different answers than somebody who came from the culture. So that's why it's so, so important there. My question for you, Saide, though, is did you notice any interactions in your experiences, like with creating some of those IEP and the testing that came into that? Do you notice any differences for cultures and the psych testing? Because different cultures hmm, are going to have absolutely. relationships. Absolutely. Psychological testing. Absolutely. You know, the first thing, aside from even testing, one thing very simple I tell you, like sometimes the behavior that is inappropriate here is not as inappropriate in our culture, you know, oh, or, or the good. opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah, do so, you have examples of that? Um, an example is when, um, for example, kids kid each other, they start sort of wrestling with each other. It's taken as something that is fun and they're doing and they're happy. They're in the break. They're getting into, um, you know, each other's case, may make fun, um, play. But here I noticed that um, people try to separate them. We don't wrestle during break. You, you're doing this. It's not right. And a lot of times as I was observing, I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, poor kids. They're just playing, you know. So it's, it was interesting. And even behaviorally in the classroom, sometimes some, um, you know, uh, some talking, for example, it's very inappropriate. But sometimes you take it as a casual talk. That was okay, you know. I mean, you just go on with whatever happens and you do your teaching, you do your work, you let um, kids. I mean, sometimes there were things that seemed to me a little different. And um, I was just, it was very interesting. And I was working a lot with um, second language learners um, because in each class I was teaching during my teaching time, uh, there was always a new um person from different culture. And I was always observing that how interesting um, it was that at least we would go into a couple of parent meeting with these kids to teach them how to behave in this culture. And I was in a way feeling bad for those kids that they were good kids. They were not, they didn't have behavioral issues, but because they came from different culture, they didn't know they didn't know different things to do or to not to do. And when I was an administrator, the teacher sometimes brought the kids to the office or to complain about the behavior. And from my background, when I looked at that behavior, it didn't seem that bad. But I had to, you know, because in this culture is not right. I had to explain to parents that I understand that this behavior is okay in your culture, but because we are here, we have to follow through with this culture. And I explain, and the parents are always very good because they want their kids to do well. They don't want, and for kids, it takes a little time to learn, you know. 
but very interesting. Same with testing. You know, I personally has translated this test, and not only that, but also when we uh, were giving um, golden award to kids who knew different languages. And I was the uh, expert in Persian language when they were testing in a county of Sacramento. And it was very interesting because I translated the whole test in uh, Persian. And when I was on the phone orally taking the test from kids all over uh, Sacramento County, um, it was one question that I had to ask. But it was very interesting because every time I had to explain a little more, so the kids would understand the question. Even the translation wasn't really getting the meaning that they had to really answer the way they should answer. So there's so many details when it comes to culture and language that since I was working with the kids in different, really in a really variety of situations, um, I've been facing with cultural differences and the effect of that. Wow, that really brings up the differences in for cultural things in terms of language. Yeah, not only in language, even, uh, I mean, thinking of even Persian culture, a lot of times I notice that a lot of things are opposite. I mean, think about the writing, we write from right to left. Even that aspect you know, we think right to left, you know what I mean? As opposed to left to right. I mean, everything is really pretty much opposite. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. What, I wonder what difference does that make when you say you're thinking from right to left? Do you have any sense of that? That's very interesting. I've never thought about yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I have to get deeper into this to really bring a lot of aspect of the differences into culture, especially from educational part, from psychological part. But now that I pay more attention, especially when it comes to psychology, when it comes to education, I often think we do pretty much everything opposite we um, even our practices are mostly opposite are um, you know many things uh, I can talk about every aspect of traditions of uh, parts of the celebration of our culture many things are they sound similar and we do some similar things but a lot of times things are very different that is very interesting. I think one of our next programs, we should talk about several of those things. Sure. And even think about it when I say we think right to left, when you put the words together, the adjective comes after, you know. There you go. That's but in English, adjectives, adjectives come um, before. So, I mean, think about everything for someone who is learning the language from the start it's difficult to switch that mindset. When I said we think from right to left, I mean, everything is very different. Um, so for example, in our uh, educational system, learning English is a big part of uh, education. Um, so minimum one or two languages are taught at school and it's required. It's not like um, elective. Um, so when you're in junior high, and now probably I haven't been there to know, but I know from my time, from junior high, you were required to learn two other languages. Um, so, yeah, so, and you know, the processing speed of uh, kids, as we know in psychology, is the highest in um, um, adolescent ages. So, you process better, you learn better. I mean, if you pay attention, so that's the time that a lot of um, heavy stuff switch to be taught to the kids. And language is one of them. Wow, that is very interesting. Yeah, I know and I'm taking this uh, class in German right now and the word order of things is switched around quite a bit. You So you studied other and, and other language besides English. Was it French? I did learn French when I was here in high school, but I also learned Arabic. Um, it was a required um, to learn Arabic when we were in um, 
junior high. Um, so I learned Arabic and I was very, very good at it, not to brag about, but language was one of my interests and I was very good at Arabic. Um, but and, and I always thought if I'm just two months in Arabic country, I could pick up the speaking part because I was good at grammar. I was good at um, understanding the roots of the words. I was very good at it. And even in most of my tests, I was like 100 percent because I, it was my interest. I wanted um, to know the roots of the language. I wanted the context conjugation of the the verb. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I, languages were always my interest. And here, when I learned French, I remember I was progressing really well. Um, and then the sounds, because are very similar, uh, Persian and um, French, I could pronounce it. And, um, and, and it was also some aspect of the language pronunciation um, that was helpful for me. Wow. So, you know, multiple languages then. Well, a little, because first of all, when you don't use it, you lose, um, you know, you have to be living in a country that they speak it to really do better because language is developed throughout years. I mean, you learn vocabulary every single day. And you develop your writing, you develop your understanding, you, I mean, it's just a, a salient. I really think language is salient and you just, it's moving. You learn as you move. Right. That is so right. Yeah, I'm planning to take some courses in Germany. That so. would be nice because that's your roots. Right. Exactly. And, right. and, and I heard the writing part is easy because the way you pronounce you write just like a Spanish. Pretty much. There are some things that are different that are not pronounced the same as what we do. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's, it's pretty much the same. It's not like learning a whole new lettering system alphabet. I right? know. Ishbin means I am. You speak German too? <laughs> How much German did you have? <laughs> no, I just heard um, because my brother and sister were taking German and they were sometimes talking at home about uh, different sentences. I remember Ich bin, uh, yeah, it's, it means I am. You're a German speaker. You speak more <laughs> than I do, I think. I love languages, and uh, if I had time, I definitely wanted to learn at least one more language of Spanish. Because here, living in the United States and learning uh, Spanish seems very necessary, you know. I think it's, it can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. It's interesting, too, what the kind of the modern thing is, and I'm sure you already know this, is that when we learn a language, we're not just learning a language, we're learning also a culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In yes. order to really know, yes. we have to uh, learn that culture. Absolutely, yes. Because the meaning, the uh, sentences, the poetry of a language, the writing of a language, they all are combination of language and culture. Well, the Stroop... I think that Stroop color word test is a great, great example of what happens when we learn language because you see the printed letters of the word and that's the meaning that goes in, that immediately reflexively comes out. Sure. And that's why it's so hard to, instead of saying that word, is to say the color of the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's that level of processing that we have to get to with language in order to fluently use the language to express who we are sure. and what we are. I guess the flexibility part comes because of that. You have to be flexible. I suspect that it's an in inhibitory part. We have to have developed the inhibition mm. that we don't mm -hmm. just automatically say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can think about this. There's a lot of people who don't inhibit their word statements very well, and they can come across as a little bit uh, rude or okay. too forward because yeah. they don't hold back sure. things that they say. Sure. And talking about, because um, remember we were 
uh, yesterday in as part of our conversation, we were talking about um, self-regulation and, um, you know, those aspects that we talked about. I think exactly that comes there too, that some people are, um, you know, very thoughtful when they um, say things, they process differently and they hold back on responding and they're very thoughtful um, when they say something. But some people just say whatever comes out. So I think self-regulation partly is uh, part of the culture too. Some people just ask questions, whatever questions. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> your culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to use that too. I like that. Well, okay. <laughs> I ask questions. But, yeah. you know, in uh, no, seriously, it's very good that you ask questions because you want to know and you take notes. You take it seriously. You really want to get back to it. And I've noticed that it's not just ask question and pass by it. You ask question and you write notes, which means you care. It's not just asking question and pass. So I appreciate that part too. So I don't take it as putting me on the spot. Rather, you want to learn. So I appreciate that too. You are very kind. And with that, we are coming to the end of another program here. All right. So, so do you have a question that you would <laughs> like to ask for the end of the program? To ask a question from you, I was wondering if the cultural background that um, the roots that you had uh, from German, how much of that has made you who you are, even though uh, you were born and raised in, in this country? You know, that is a very good question. And I do not have a great answer for that question. I know that what we're just talking about, my questioning of things and asking questions, I think that's a little bit different than anybody in my fam the family I grew up in. I think that's a little bit different. And really from most of the people I have known growing up. So I don't know the answer to that. I think probably and it may sound stereotypical, but I do, I do have a great appreciation for aesthetics and arts. And I think that's similar to some of the German uh, idea form follows function and the, some of that design stuff. And I do have a great interest in science and measurement and math type things. So I would suspect it's the merging or melding of those two things. That's that's a really good question. It's a really good question. And I will think on that. That's good. Well, um, uh, I was going to ask you something else, but maybe for next time. Sounds like a good one. <laughs> okay. Do you have the ending statement that we usually say at the end of our... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. It wasn't actually a question. It was just like... I can't believe since June of 2021, we've been doing this um, podcast every single week without exception. It is amazing. Seriously, think about it. It's been a year and almost half, and we are getting basically within a few months to the uh, second annual podcasting that we've had. And we didn't miss a week. I mean, Radio Wombat sometimes may have repeated one of the podcasts, but we never repeated anything. Even if it was alone, if it was two of us, three of us, we always, always had a new podcast. And I'm just so proud and so appreciative of you guys and your commitment that you just came right in and you jumped in to create this podcast and this program. So um, it is room for really talking about that because all of a sudden came to my mind that we jump right in to um, talk about a topic and we've been doing that all along. So with that, I want to hand it to you for your final conversation. Well, this would be something, I guess, from my own 
I guess my own personal background, or this could be some culturally inherited piece. And it has to do with that. And that is take the first step. I love that saying of well begun is half done. And the way we got started doing this podcast was we took the first step and we just kept going step by step. And before you know it, it's like if you monthly deposit into a savings account before you know it, whoa, it's surprising how much you have in the bank. Absolutely. Well, because we started with the psychological assessment and I want to go back to that, our ending, uh, I just want to say, you know, uh, if your children uh, needed to be tested, don't be afraid of it. It's just one piece of information and data to know about your child or yourself, because I know recently I heard from a couple of people that I'm um, working with that they wanted to do the testing on to make sure if they have ADHD, even as adult. So it's just one better piece of information about you that tells you more. And with that, I want to wish everyone a great um, uh, Sunday and also a week ahead. Have a wonderful week.